Part two, chapter fifteen of the Tree of Heaven by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part two, the Vortex, chapter fifteen. It was five weeks since Nicholas's wedding day, and Desmond had quarrelled with him three times. First, because he had taken a flat in Aubrey Walk with a studio inside it instead of a house in camden hill square with a studio outside it in the garden then because he had refused to go into his father's business last of all because of captain drayton and the moving fortress nicky had said that his father who was paying his rent couldn't afford the house with the studio in the garden and desmond said nicky's father could afford it perfectly well if he liked he said he had refused to go into his father's business for reasons which didn't concern her Desmond pointed out that the consequences of his refusal were likely to concern her very much indeed. As for Captain Drayton and the moving fortress, nobody but a supreme idiot would have done what Nicky did. But Nicky absolutely refused to discuss what he had done. Nobody but a cad and a rotter would have done anything else. In the matter of the moving fortress, what had happened was this. The last of the drawings was not finished, until desmond had settled down in the flat in aubrey walk you couldn't hurry desmond nicky hadn't even waited to sign his name in the margins before he had packed the plans in his dispatch box and taken them to the works and thence hidden under a pile of morse estimates to eltham he couldn't rest till he had shown them to frank drayton he could hardly wait till they had dined and till drayton who thought he was on the track of a new and horrible explosive had told him as much as he could about it nicky gave his whole mind to drayton's new explosive in the hope that when his turn came drayton would do as much for him you know he said at last the old idea of the fortress mobile yes he couldn't tell whether drayton was going to be interested or not he rather thought he wasn't it hasn't come to anything has it drayton smiled and his eyes glittered he knew what that excited gleam in drayton's eyes meant no he said not yet and nicky had an awful premonition of his doom well he said i believe there's something in it so do i nicky drayton went on i believe there's so much in it that look here i don't know what put it into your head and i'm not asking but that idea is a dead secret for god's sake don't talk about it you mustn't breathe it or it'll get into the air and if it does my five years work goes for nothing besides we don't want germany to collar it and then don't look so scared old chap i was going to tell you about it when i'd got the plane drawn he told him about it then and there low on the ground like a racing car yes said nicky revolving turret for the guns no higher than that yes said nicky sort of armoured train only it mustn't run on rails it's got to go everywhere through anything over anything if it goes at all it must turn in its own length it must wade and burrow and climb nicky it must have caterpillar wheels by jove of course it must said nicky as if the idea had struck him for the first time what have you got there said drayton finally as nicky rose and picked up his dispatch box anything interesting no said nicky mostly estimates for a long time afterwards he loathed the field between eltham and kidbrook in the mid-kent line and charing cross station 
he felt as a man feels when the woman he loves goes from him to another man his idea had gone from him to drayton and that he said to himself was just like his luck just like the jolly cells that happened to him when he was a kid to be sure there was such a thing as sharing he had only to produce his plans and his finished model and he and drayton would go partners in the moving fortress there was no reason why he shouldn't do it drayton had not even drawn his plans yet he hadn't thought out the mechanical details he thought i could go back now and tell him but he did not go back he knew that he would never tell him if drayton asked him to help him with the details he would work them out all over again with him but he would never show his own finished plans or his own model he didn't know whether it had been hard or easy for him to give up the moving fortress he did it instinctively there was unless he had chosen to be a blackguard nothing else for him to do besides the moving fortress wasn't his idea drayton had had it first anybody might have had it he hadn't spoken of it first but that was nothing the point was that he had had it first and nicky wasn't going to take it from him it meant more to drayton who was in the service than it could possibly mean to him he hadn't even got a profession as he walked back through the fields to the station he said to himself that he didn't really care it was only one more jolly sell he didn't like giving up his moving fortress but it wouldn't end him there was something in him that would go on he would make another engine he didn't care there was something in him that would go on i can't see desmond had said why captain drayton should be allowed to walk off with your idea he's worked five years on it he hasn't worked it out yet and you have can't you see her face was dark and hard with anger there's money in it if there is all the more reason why i shouldn't bag it and where do i come in not just here i'm afraid it isn't your business not my business when i did the drawings you couldn't possibly have done them yourself at that point nicky refused to discuss the matter farther and still desmond brooded on her grievance and still at intervals desmond brought it up again there's stacks of money in your father's business there's stacks of money in that moving fortress you are a fool nicky to throw it all away he never answered her he said to himself that desmond was hysterical and had a morbid fancy but it didn't end there he had taken the drawings and the box that had the model of the moving fortress in it and buried them in the locker under the big north window in desmond's studio and there three weeks later desmond found them and she packed the model of the moving fortress and marked it urgent with care and sent it to the war office with a letter she packed the drawings in a portfolio having signed her own and nicky's name on the margins and sent them to captain drayton with a letter she said she had no doubt she was doing an immoral thing but she did it in fairness to captain drayton for she was sure he would not like nicky to make so great a sacrifice nicky she said was wrapped up in his moving fortress it was his sweetheart his baby he will never forgive me she said as long as he lives but i simply had to let you know it means so much to him for she thought because nicky's a fool i needn't be one drayton came over the same evening after he had got the letter he shouted with laughter 
Nicky, he said, you filthy rotter, why on earth didn't you tell me? It was Nickyish of you. What if I did think of it first? I should have come to you for the details. It would have been jolly to have worked it out together. Not a bit of it. Your wife's absolutely right. Good thing, after all, you married her. By the way, she says there's a model. I want to see that model. Have you got it here? Nicky went up into the studio to look for it. He couldn't find it in the locker where he'd left it. Wherever is the damned thing, he said. The damned thing, said Desmond, is where you should have sent it first of all, at the war office. You're clever, Nicky, but you aren't quite clever enough. I'm afraid, he said, you've been a bit too clever this time. Drayton agreed with him. It was, he said, about the worst thing that could possibly have happened. She shouldn't have done that, Nicky. What on earth could have made her do it? Don't ask me, said Nicky, what makes her do things. It looks, Drayton meditated, as if she didn't trust me. I'm afraid she's dished us. God knows whether we can ever get it back. Desmond had a fit of hysterics when she realized how clever she had been. Desmond's baby was born late in November of that year, and it died when it was two weeks old. It was as if she had not wanted it enough to give it life for long outside her body. For though Desmond had been determined to have a child, and had declared that she had a perfect right to have one if she chose, she did not care for it when it came. And when it died, Nicky was sorrier than Desmond. He had not wanted to be a father to Hedley Richard's child, and yet it was the baby and nothing but the baby that had let him in for marrying Desmond so that when it died he felt that somehow things had tricked and sold him. As they had turned out, he need not have married Desmond after all. She herself had pointed out the extreme futility of his behaviour, lest he should miss the peculiar irony of it. For when her fright and the cause of her fright were gone, Desmond resented Nicky's having married her. She didn't really want anybody to marry her, and nobody but Nicky would have dreamed of doing it. She lay weak and pathetic in her bed for about a fortnight, and for a little while after she was content to lie stretched out among her cushions on the studio floor while Nicky waited on her. But when she got well and came downstairs for good, Nicky saw that Desmond's weakness and pathos had come with the baby and had gone with it. The real Desmond was not weak, she was not pathetic. She was strong and hard and clever with a brutal cleverness. She didn't care how much he saw. He could see to the bottom of her nature, if he liked, and feel how hard it was. She had no more interest in deceiving him. She had no more interest in him at all. She was interested in her painting again. She worked in long fits after long intervals of idleness. She worked with a hard, passionless efficiency. Nicky thought her paintings were hideous and repulsive, but he did not say so. He was not aware of the extent to which Desmond imitated her master, Alfred Orr Jones. He knew nothing about painting, and he had got used to the things. He got used to Desmond slouching about the flat in her sloping, slovenly grace, dressed in her queer square jacket and straight short skirt, showing her long delicate ankles and her slender feet in their grey stockings and black slippers. He was used to Desmond when she was lazy when she sat hunched up on her cushions and smoked one cigarette after another without a word and watched him sullenly her long slippered feet thrust out pointed at him watching 
her long face watched him between the sleek bands of hair and the big black bosses plaited over her ears the beauty of desmond's face had gone to sleep again stilled into hardness by the passing of her passion a sort of ugliness was awake there and it watched him in putting weakness and pathos away from her desmond had parted with two-thirds of her power yet the third part still served to hold him used with knowledge and a cold and competent economy he resented it resisted it over and over again and over and over again it conquered resentment and resistance it had something to do with her subtle sloping lines with her blackness and her sallow whiteness with the delicate scent and the smoothness of her skin under the sliding hand he couldn't touch her without still feeling a sort of pity a sort of affection but she could take and give caresses while she removed her soul from him in stubborn rancor he couldn't understand that it amazed him every time he thought it horrible for nicky's memory was faithful it still kept the impression of the desmond he had married the tender frightened helpless desmond he had thought he loved the desmond he remembered reminded him of veronica and desmond said to herself he's impossible you can't make any impression on him i might as well be married to a moving fortress months passed the war office had not yet given up nicky's model of the moving fortress in the first month it was not aware of any letter or of any parcel or of any mr nicholas harrison in the second month inquiries would be made and the results communicated to captain drayton in the third month the war office knew nothing of the matter referred to by captain drayton drayton hadn't a hope we can't get it back nicky he said i can said nicky i can get it back out of my head all through the winter of nineteen eleven and the spring of nineteen twelve they worked at it together they owned that they were thus getting better results than either of them could have got alone there were impossibilities about nicky's model that a gunner would have seen at once and there were faults in drayton's plans that an engineer would not have made nicky couldn't draw the plans and drayton couldn't build the models they said it was fifty times better fun to work at it together nicky was happy desmond watched them sombrely she and alfred ord jones the painter laughed at them behind their backs she said how funny they are frank wouldn't hurt a fly and Nicky wouldn't say boo to a goose if he thought it would frighten the goose. And yet they're only happy when they're inventing some horrible machine that'll kill thousands of people who never did them any harm. He said, that's because they haven't any imagination. Nicky got up early and went to bed late to work at the moving fortress. The time between had to be given to the works. The company had paid him fairly well for all his patents in the hope of getting more of his ideas and when they found that no ideas were forthcoming they took it out of him in labour he was too busy and too happy to notice what desmond was doing one day vera said to him nicky do you know that desmond is going about a good deal with alfred ord jones is she is there any reason why she shouldn't not unless you call ord jones a reason you mean i've got to stop it how can i you can't nothing can stop desmond what do you think i ought to do about it nothing she goes about with scores of people it doesn't follow that there's anything in it oh lord i should hope not that beastly bounder what could there be in it he's a clever painter nicky 
so's desmond there's that in it i've hardly a right to object to that have i it's not as if i were a clever painter myself but as he walked home between the white-walled gardens of st john's wood and through regent's park and baker street and down the north side of hyde park and kensington gardens he worried the things to shreds there couldn't be anything in it he could see alfred Ord jones the raking swagger of the tall lean body in the loose trousers the slouch hat and the flowing tie he could see his flowing black hair and his haggard eccentric face with its seven fantastic accents the black eyebrows the black moustache the high close-clipped side whiskers the two forks of the black beard there couldn't be anything in it Ord jones's mouth was full of rotten teeth and yet he never came home rather later than usual without saying to himself supposing i was to find him there with her he left off coming home late so that he shouldn't have to ask himself that question he wondered what if it really did happen he would do he wondered what other men did it never occurred to him that at twenty-two he was young to be considering this problem he rehearsed scenes that were only less fantastic than ord jones's face and figure or that owed their element of fantasy to ord jones's face and figure he saw himself assaulting ord jones with violence dragging him out of desmond's studio and throwing him downstairs he wondered what shapes that body and those legs and arms would take when they got to the bottom perhaps they wouldn't get to the bottom all at once he would hang on to the banisters he saw himself simply opening the door of the studio and ordering ord jones to walk out of it really there would be nothing else for him to do but to walk out and he would look an awful ass doing it he saw himself standing in the room and looking at them and saying i've no intention of interrupting you perhaps desmond would answer you're not interrupting us we finished all we had to say and he would walk out and leave them there not caring he wondered if he would look an awful ass doing it in the end when it came he hadn't to do any of these things it happened very quietly and simply early on a sunday evening after he had got back from eltham he had dined with drayton and his people on saturday and stayed for once overnight risking it desmond was sitting on a cushion on the floor with her thin legs in their grey stockings slanting out in front of her she propped her chin on her hands her thin long face between the great black ear-bosses looked at him thoughtfully without rancor nicky she said alfred ord jones slept with me last night and he said simply and quietly very well desmond then i shall leave you you can keep the flat and i or my father will make you an allowance i shan't divorce you but i won't live with you why won't you divorce me she said because i don't want to drag you through the dirt she laughed quietly dear nicky she said how sweet and like you but don't let's have any more chivalrous idiocy i don't want it i never did she had forgotten that she had wanted it very badly once but nicky did not remind her of that time no matter she didn't want it now let's look at the thing sensibly without any rotten sentiment we've had some good times together and we've had some bad times i'll admit that when you married me you saved me from a very bad time that's no reason why we should go on giving each other worse times indefinitely you seem to think i don't want you to divorce me 
what else do you imagine alfred came for last night why we've been trying it for the last three months of course if you'll let me divorce you for desertion it would be very nice of you that said desmond is what decent people do he went out and telephoned to his father then he left her and went back to his father's house desmond asked the servant to remember particularly that it was the fifteenth of june and that the master was going away and would not come back again as nicky walked up the hill and across the heath he wondered why it had happened and why now that it had happened he cared so little he could have understood it if he hadn't cared at all for desmond but he had cared in a sort of way if she had cared at all for him he thought they might have made something of it something enduring perhaps if they had had children of their own he still couldn't think why it had happened but he knew that even if he had loved desmond with passion it wouldn't have been the end of him the part of him that didn't care that hadn't cared much when he lost his moving fortress was the part that desmond would never have cared for he didn't know whether it was outside him and beyond him bigger and stronger than he was or whether it was deep inside the most real part of him whatever happened or didn't happen it would go on how could he have ended here with poor little desmond there was something ahead of him something that he felt to be tremendous and holy he had always known it waited for him he was going out to meet it and because of it he didn't care and after a year of desmond he was glad to go back to his father's house even though he knew that the thing that waited for him was not there francis and anthony were happy again after all heaven had manipulated their happiness with exquisite art and wisdom letting michael and nicholas go from them for a little while that they might have them again more completely and teaching them the art and wisdom that would keep them some day the children would marry even nicky might marry again they would prepare now by small daily self-denials for the big renunciation that must come yet in secret they thought that michael would never marry that nicky made prudent by disaster wasn't really likely to marry again john would marry and they would be happy in john's happiness and in john's children and nicky had not been home before he offered to his parents the spectacle of an outrageous gaiety he would have said that life to nicholas was an amusing game where you might win or lose but either way it didn't matter it was a rag a sell even the proceedings the involved and ridiculous proceedings of his divorce amused him it was undeniably funny that he should be supposed to have deserted desmond francis wondered again whether nicky really had any feelings and whether things really made any impression on him End of Part 2, Chapter 15 Recorded by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine